Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I am one of the pastors here at Zao along with Cameron. Uh, he, him, his at the end. And uh, today we are going to have another conversation in our, our sermon time. A few weeks ago, Cameron and I had uh, a conversation that we called Uprising about the uprising that's happening all over the globe and what that means to us as uh, followers of Jesus and as a Jesus-rooted, justice-centered, radically inclusive community. And uh, today we're going to continue that conversation with uh, another community member in the broader Zhao universe, Val. Uh, Val is somebody who I have known and respected and loved and admired for a really long time, since uh, well before coming to Milwaukee. Uh, Val and I go back um, to Chicago roots, where Val still lives and does incredible organizing work. Um, and we've been in, in a journey of discipleship together as followers of Jesus and I have many fond memories of uh, sitting in public coffee shops, reading the Bible out loud to one another, um, which that was like really bold of us. Um, yeah, Job. Yeah, we, we, we dwelled in Job together. So, um, so I am, was thrilled when Val um, uh, offered to be a part of this conversation as we're talking about activism and organizing and justice and liberation from a Christian perspective and what it means to do the work of healing both at a kind of global and social level and also at this deep um, personal level and the intersections between anti-oppression work and Christian discipleship. So um, thank you so much for joining us, Val. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say by way of introduction or what you bring to this space? Yeah, so I'm I'm an organizer and a therapist and an artist. So those are uh, identities that inform the way that I move in movement work. So I would just add that. A lot of social work energy up here today, <laughs> which is lovely. Um, so we've been talking about uh, we've been talking about the justice center of our Christian identity since Zhao formed. Um, and that sometimes can feel very theoretical, and right now I think some folks are connecting to it in more tangible ways. Uh, would you be willing to just speak to what it means to you to seek justice as a follower of Jesus specifically? I know you work with a lot of people who come from very different perspectives in their organizing work, and so I'm curious what that means to you to, to faithfully organize in that way. Yes, <laughs> I can. Yeah, I think in organizing spaces, I don't very often get to talk about faith. And it's really interesting because I would not have been a sociology major. I would not have gone to grad school for social work had it not been for my faith. So there's only certain spaces where I can say, well, I'm an organizer because of my faith. And the ways that I seek to decolonize my life and particularly my faith because when I think about what it means to follow Jesus, it's creating a world where everybody is invited to the party. <laughs> so um, for me, it's kind of inextricably, like justice work is inextricably linked to what it means to embody Jesus's 
good news. Absolutely. I see you nodding over there, Cameron. Do you have anything to toss in on that? No. Just just daggers in the eyes uh, for, for asking the question. It's going to take us a little minute to get into our rhythm. Um, but I don't want this to be like interviewee necessarily, but I know that you have given a lot of thought um, to that. And, and I appreciate your um, perspective as, as a Jesus follower. I know that that also intersects for you with personal healing work, that that's both spiritual and anti-oppression. Um, and so I, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that um, uh, as well. Yeah, so there is a poem written by Phil Agnew, who um, is a part of the Dream Defenders in Florida, who sort of led that uprising in in the, um, you know, when Trayvon, murder, Trayvon Martin was murdered um, back in 2012. And the poem says, are we not the children of uprisings? And so, you know, <clears throat> organizing is such, it's it's a, it's kind of like storytelling work. Like you're seeking a world. Um, black folk are seeking a world where we can be included. Um, and that's so particular to our stories. And so for me, I think about my Haitian identity and um, like both of my parents emigrated from Haiti in the seventies and Haiti, you know, was the only successful slave rebellion in the diaspora. And um, so it's kind of, I've been sort of describing myself as like the daughter of uprisings. And I think about, um, yeah, just how central that is to all black folks, right? And particularly like me as a, the daughter of Haitian immigrants and, um, how significant that is and the reason why Haiti is as poor as it is today is because they resisted right and so that's um directly so it's it's very personal work organizing is very sacrificial it's very taxing and I think this uprising in this political moment um you know we've had conversations about how important it is for black organizers in particular to go at a sustainable pace, whatever that means. <laughs> um, because obviously for, for all black folks, you know, for me and my family, this is an incredibly triggering time. So um, movement for me has been in this iteration, in this uprising, more political education, more training. Um, I've been out in the streets some, but um, it's also nice to not be in the streets sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. And Cameron, you're just going to have to let me know when you're able to ju jump in because your face says so much. You're like, yes, I have all sorts of thoughts about this. And then when the time comes. Well, I just, I really appreciate uh, the beauty of like that poem um, and being able to like, trace it back to like where where that fits in for you and so I was just like wow that's beautiful that's what my face probably was um but also like you know I think a couple of weeks ago when we were talking you know Jonah was like well how do you feel and I'm like exhausted right and then like 
asked me this week and I'm like exhausted. And so I think it's, it's really important, uh, what you just said about like, you know, picking where we, um, should be where we need to be, um, and taking time that that might look different. Um, and you know, a person who is in the streets often can now also say, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to do education. And I'm going to um, be here talking with us. Right. And like all of those pieces are really important. Um, and none are like less than others. They're all necessary pieces to, to the movement to make it sustainable and make us get to a place um, of real change. So I just thought that was really, really beautiful. Yes. Yes. I'm very committed to however black folks are sustaining themselves in this moment. Like, yeah. And, and whatever, whatever that means to people, that's, I think, key, right? It's not just black lives matter when we're murdered, but like when we're here and, um, like that our existence is inherently revolutionary for better, for worse. Um, so and that also makes me think about Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer and so many of these like movement mothers in the civil rights area who we never know, right? And who we only think about MLK or Malcolm X um, or even like Bayard Rustin, right? Who was the first person to tell Dr. King about nonviolence and how when you're black and when you have more marginalized identities, the ways in which your um, labor gets invisibilized. And um, it made me think about the importance of group-centered leadership and how it's important for new energy to be in the streets and new energy to be on the mics. And it doesn't have to be the same people. And in fact, we're doing a disservice to the movement when we sort of center it around just those who are charismatic. Um, like. Yeah, so I've been actually relishing and taking up less space or like taking up more space in in particular context, um, which has been really nice. That's really intriguing, like, because um, we, we're talking all the time about, um, you know, like letting things well, I do anyway, letting things die so that like new life can be brought. Um, and that's an interesting, like, you know, we, when we hold on to something so dearly, we miss all of the things that are new and coming um, and how important, you know, we yell all the time, like, listen to the youth who are coming up and like, what do they think? What, you know, what's important to you? Um, and I think that's something that that um, is interesting here in Milwaukee because we've definitely gotten a few, you know, kind of figureheads and there are all these other people who are trying to like, you know, kind of fighting to say like, we're doing stuff too. Um, and so like, what would it look like actually if it was this like, you know, synergy of just energy? So like whoever has that energy today, like show up and like listen to them, you know, and, and so we wouldn't have to fight then to be, to be seen, which is unfortunate because that's really what this is about, right? It's like, we're all fighting to be seen. Um, and we've been fighting for so long. Um, and so when, when you get into that spotlight, you're like, yes, I'm seen. Um, and then how then do you bring others with you? while so that we can all be seen and and so yeah i really i liked that you know 
just image as you were talking in my head of like this, you know, synergy of energy that um, if we were to let that open up a little bit, what, what more could we hear? Yeah, and looking over the notes in preparation for this conversation, you know, you all were sort of talking about like how does healing inner, you know, kind of, um, yeah, how is it interwoven into movement work? And I think it's everything <laughs> because when people's egos get centered and like it sets us back, right? I think we're we're having a lot of conversations now about you know, the Say Her Name campaign in particular within the movement for Black Lives is necessary because there's been this larger narrative and erasure of just like how Black women are brutalized, sexually assaulted, and like murdered by cops too. And and how like, yeah, just how there's, it's not just Black cis men's lives that we're fighting for. And um I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think a lot about we're all socialized under these oppressive white supremacy, right? And so there are all ways that we have to set aside our ego and, and really be reflective and intentional about how we show up in space. Um, and I've made a lot of mistakes in the past. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's sort of like this invitation. I think you really... To, to be a good organizer, right, especially if you're an organizer who's also a Christian, I think that means, like, you have to really be open to the Holy Spirit. And it's, like, it's really incredibly humbling work. And I have one of, when I first started organizing, one of the organizers in Chicago who I've learned a lot from is Jason Perez. And one thing he always says is the right is so much more organized than us. And so, yeah. Black folks are 13% of the population. We're not all a monolith. When we get in organizing spaces, there's actually a lot we have to hash out, <laughs> you know, to get on the same page. And the right just has like, they're just right. The status quo has been working for them. So there's all these ways that it just doesn't have to, they don't have to have those conversations because they're all about wealth and whatever, things that I don't really particularly want. But um, so... Yeah, I think, um, you know, part of what I've been meaning to do, especially sort of offering my therapist training is like inviting organizers to slow down, to be reflective about what are your needs to show up in space and sort of like from a grounded place, from the place that's kind of your, the highest expression of yourself and not just kind of coming from that trauma response, you know, because it's, really easy to do um so yeah it just made me think about that like coming from a trauma response right like oof we i think that's part of what ends up getting in the way every single time when we come together and people who are marginalized um, when you come together you're like let's do this but then we're we're coming at it uh, from trauma responses rather than a grounded, healed um, place. And it's hard to get to that grounded, healed place when you are marginalized. And so um, I think that tends to move us into conversations that are unhealthy. Um, it, 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 that whole like, we're not all the same, all black people aren't the same. Um, and so we have different ways that we think we should get 
to to you know the freedom land um but often i'm finding i'm having conversations about how much we uh, dislike white people or like how it's the white person's fault that everything is everything right and like though there is truth in all of those things it's also not helpful I think personally to like start from that place right because that's not a grounded that's not a healed space um, and I think that's not going to help us to get to the actual liberation that we're all seeking to be at so um you know, I'm curious as to if you have thoughts on what helps you stay grounded and what helps you um, feel um, healed enough to enter into some of those spaces. Because I know that's these are things that I can learn personally because I'm often just running myself ragged until I have a meltdown. And then Jonah is like, they're there. I don't know what to say. I'm white. They're there, you know. And, and so, like, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well. I am a therapist who is regularly in therapy. Um, I'm in spiritual community, and lately they have been texting me reminders to eat and to stretch and rest. So I think it takes a village, right? I think it's, there's so many, um, it's coping is so particular to a person. So I always just encourage people to think about what do you need? It's okay to turn off social media. It's okay to take a break. Like the work's going to be there. Remembering that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And the reason why Black Lives Matter is not as a controversial a statement as it was six years ago was because of all the work that we've been doing. So like remembering we are winning and there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of work that is ahead of us. But like... The city council in Minneapolis committed to defunding their police department, right? So like these conversations were unthinkable when we started saying divest and invest five years ago, you know, like, and it's like, oh shit, <laughs> like it's happening. So um, I think that's a part of it. And then resting because I think capitalism can show up even in the ways that we organize, right? There's so much unlearning that we all have to do. And so I think, you know, if I remember from some of the notes, like kind of distancing ourselves from this like purity politic, like it doesn't have to, we don't have to do it perfectly, but we have to do it thoughtfully. Um, so those are some of the ways that I handle it. And um, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, you speak to, things I need to do first of all but also like why I think there's so much pressure is some of that stuff like purity um, culture that says you know I, I think I mentioned this the last time in the last one but it's like oh white people you didn't show up until now and so like you're shunned forever and it's like so if I and me saying this I'm scared right now oops am I gonna get canceled by the black community because I just said this right um, and that's a lot of pressure yeah. to like perform in a specific way to say the specific right things um, and for there to be uh, only one way for us to, to make things happen and I think that that for me is some of the pressure as to why 
you know, I'm jokingly singing, we who believe in freedom cannot rest, and then be like, wait, that's toxic, I need to rest, you know, um, but I, I think that that for me is, is where that pressure is coming from to like perform correctly, to always be doing enough, like you're light skin, so you don't understand. So like you need to do more and like use your privilege, you know? So like, this is, this is a thing that like, you know, isn't just for white people. Um, this is something that like, I'm constantly as a black person having to like do a bunch of internal gymnastics around too. So anyway. Yeah, and if we were speaking to this a bit earlier, but you don't have to be white to or, you know, non-black to have internalized harmful framing, right? And anti-black rhetoric and ways of living. So that's why I really think that organizing question of like, who are my people is more useful because... Yeah, I mean, there were black folks side-eyeing people who were getting hosed in the 60s and being like, what are you doing? We have to stay in our place. Who then benefited from all the legislation that happened because of the organizing, right? So, yeah, I think it's like, that's not, to me, I'm just like really, I don't know if this is my Taurus rising or whatever, but I'm just like, I will not be moved or shamed into doing anything. You're not going to shame me for like not going to a protest or being in a meeting because we all have to sort of individually define and collectively define. It's both of those, how we're going to seek freedom at a sustainable pace. And so I think it's both, I'm grounded in both like my parents like emigrated here in the seventies. My father started college at 19 years old having spoken no English and has seen his kids grow up here with relative privilege and we have so much more work to do you know so it's like both of those things I'm I am my ancestors dream and like I have um Mary Hooks's you know who's southerners on new ground in Atlanta has the the mandate for black people came to her you know, it's to avenge the suffering of our ancestors, to earn the respect of future generations and to be transformed and be willing to be transformed in service of the work. And so I think about it's this constant tension of like, look at how far we've come, reflecting on sort of like our amazing ancestors who resisted in really dangerous circumstances, right? And also like, I got to keep going because, you know, in Chicago, black and brown kids still don't have enough funding for their education. There's still not access to mental health services. Um, there's still so much work to do. Um, Val, you, I feel like we've talked about this before. Are you familiar with the NAP ministry? I, could you just speak to that a little no, bit? <laughs> I actually am not super familiar. But. Okay, so um, I was just thinking about, you were talking about how um, all people, including um, including black people and non-black people of color have, have been affected by um, the sickness, and I would call it the sin of white supremacy and these, these frameworks that are so wounding, so deeply and generationally wounding. Um, and there are some incredible folks in Atlanta, um, 
who have formed the NAP ministry and they're the way that I am blessed by the NAP ministry is mostly through Instagram. <laughs> and it's, it's a, just a, a different, it's a counter framework. It's an anti-capitalist pro-black framework from, um, from one black woman in particular, but a whole collection of folks who have said, we will nap. Like literally we will take naps. And that is a revolutionary act because black rest and rest broadly is revolutionary and is valuable. And it is capitalism and white supremacy that have driven us to work ourselves in this way. And so I, I, it's just coming up a lot for me as I'm hearing the exhaustion and a conversation Cameron and I have often is that everyone we know feels at some level or fears at some level that what they're doing isn't enough, which is something that I think many folks in our community experience every day, no matter what context. I'm not enough. And that's, that's a sin. That's a collective sin that we have been wounded by. Um, and so in these moments where everything has a heightened importance and where we, I, I believe there's a, there's a deep inner urge to prove love to one another and to, to say, you know, like I, I'm here for this. I'm here for the fight for myself, for my loved ones, you know, for, for God's people. And it, it, that sickness of never enough comes up and rears its ugly head and says, I cannot rest or I should, you know, feel ashamed to take rest. Um, or, or perhaps I need to over-exaggerate how much I'm doing, um, in order to feel like I'm communicating that I care enough or that I'm here enough, um, which then comes with shame because we feel like we can't be transparent about what our needs and our functions actually are. Um, so yeah, I, I think that part of Christian discipleship is Sabbath and rest um, and in order to be faithful to this moment, we, we need to remain faithful to Sabbath and to rest as a holy practice, as a holy mandate by God. And yet we feel that resting is a betrayal of ourselves or the people we love. Uh, and that seems to be a common, a common experience. And, and I call out to the NAP ministry in particular, because they like their work is continually um, just inviting me back in to that reminder of, of holy rest. Um, so I don't know if you have any further thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying this as a, as a black woman organizer who was politicized into organizing in the Freddie Gray moment. So like, I think it's different for everybody. I think if you're getting mobilized in this moment, maybe you don't necessarily feel like you need to rest as much. Like, I think, I think it's, it's so individual and I think it's something just worth continuing to assess and reframing it to when I rest, when I have my basic needs met, when I'm nourished, when I've fed myself, when I've gotten eight hours or 10 hours of sleep, that actually is in service of black liberation because you're not showing up in space, hopefully as problematic when you got your shit together, you know? So <laughs> it's just, yeah. So that's what I think about, um, yeah. And I think that then allows us to not like do the thing which is like, oh, I'm doing all these things, I swear, right? Um, because I think hiding behind um, like not having time or um, not having and you know enough or whatever it might be, I think is something for like me as a black person 
that I do get upset when I see, you know, white folks, like, for instance, be like, oh, I can't because I can't. And or I'm doing all these things, I swear. And it's like, I don't see you showing up, though. Um, and so but if we, I think part of what's happening is is that proving um, that they're showing up now, I swear, you know. Um, and so if we could find a way to, to welcome them to the table, welcome them to the party um, and say, like, it, it hurt that you weren't here um, before. But now that you are welcome here, um, they wouldn't have to hide behind uh, false, you know, yeah, like false stuff that says, like, I swear I'm doing enough. So I think that that is that's liberation for all of us then to like just do the work that needs to get done. Um, but yeah, I just it's important to rest and it's important to show up um, authentically um, because otherwise I, I see that you're you're not actually showing up um, and that then adds to my distrust of you. Um, and then now we've just widened the gap rather than close the gap that we were trying to to close in that that trust bubble so yeah yeah i mean i think this is central to our values as christians as well but i think organizing is it's so deeply good organizing is so deeply rooted in relationships so i think i'm just always am reminding folks and reminding myself to have one-on-ones regularly because i think that is one approach to help mitigating some of that. Um, yeah, because it is hard. And I think there are, I think it's important to also say like there are other organizers who might disagree with me and I welcome that. I, I think we need to just get better about conflict and have structures for disagreeing and making decisions and being efficient because I'm not trying to be in a meeting for four hours. Okay, so. No. I need boundaries y'all boundaries yes so yeah so i think about um it is hard but it is like yeah i'm there were a couple in this polit like this uprising there were a couple white folks in my life who wanted me to know how much they were doing and i was just kind of like i actually don't care like you're just continuing to center whiteness like if you're doing the work then you don't have to be in my face about how much you're doing i will see it and i will feel it so, yeah. So we're going to um, end our conversation with a couple of um, kind of wrap-up questions. Obviously, one of, you know, one of the things that makes organizing different in this context is that we're a church. And so a question that Cameron and I are always asking is like, well, what's, what's different about doing this as church versus doing it in so many of the other fruitful spaces that people do? Um, and part of that for me is always about faithfulness and discipleship and what it means to seek after Jesus and do things in a different kind of way. So what, what would you have to say to folks who are trying to participate um, meaningfully in the movement uh, and to be a part of this movement for black lives as a Christian or as a spiritual person, as a follower of Jesus specifically. Do you want to answer first? Okay. <clears throat> Great question. Um, I would definitely invite folks to pray about it because we serve a living God who's speaking to us and communicating to us through the Holy Spirit. Um, 
I think sort of like my therapist brain is always like assessing your motives, like just being honest, using your devotional time as like, where are you at? What are you still in learning? What questions are you wrestling with that maybe like maybe defunding the police and abolishing ICE sounds like really scary to you? Well, okay, what can you do about that? Um, and I have been really encouraging folks to yield to black organizers, especially in the movement for black lives, like be following the movement for black lives, social media. And like we, we, we have um, policy ideas. We, we have been doing this work for a while. So I think it's really important to yield to people who have been doing that, especially black queer folks, black trans folks, um, black women. And yeah, I think just think about like, how can you be of service? Um, that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be on the mic. Doesn't mean that you're gonna get to do the sexy work of always being in the streets or whatever. Like this is nitty gritty, boring work sometimes. Um, hard, hard work. So I think just really, I think it really just takes the spirit of humility. I'm telling myself that whenever I'm showing up in space, like what shit do I need to leave aside um, to really be centering those of us who are most vulnerable, black trans people, black disabled people, black children. Um, so really sort of checking yourselves, checking your privilege, right? And, um, but yeah, so I think prayer, I think read, Unapologetic, a mandate for radical movement movements by Charlene Carruthers. Read when they call you a terrorist. Read books from Black organizers because they're out there. Um, and yeah, making all Black Lives Matter by Barbara Ransby. Like the movement will not be televised, and so I think that you have to be critical of what you're consuming from mainstream media. That's oftentimes not the messaging that it doesn't capture the breadth of the messaging. They get our messaging wrong a ton of times. So I think really, again, learning from black organizers is key. So social media has been central to our movement. And so really like following those people um, is really important. That was, yeah, that was a lot of really good stuff. Um, I think as you were talking, the thing that I want to encourage like Zhao folk to do and people who are following is to like decenter whiteness within religion, right? So like we are a Christian community and at Zhao we often say, you know, that we follow that brown skin Jesus. But what does that actually look like then when we're praying, when we're doing our devotions, when we're um, talking about justice, if we ourselves still center whiteness? Um, and I am like calling myself out in that because it's so hard not to do. Um, it's so ingrained in everything that we've been taught. And, um, and so how do we... Um, start to, as Christians, say, how do we decenter whiteness um, even in our church and even in uh, how we're reading uh, the Bible and praying, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, 
praying like, you know, sweet brown Jesus. Like, I don't know if that's something that's helpful for people, but um, I think that that's, that's a work that I know um, even as black folk, we need to, to be called in to do as well. Um, so that's something I would be thinking about. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that, um, that you feel like you want to speak into the conversation before we close? All right. Well, then, um, as we often end our time uh, in the sermon, in the teaching, as we sit um, with these two incredible teachers, let us end in prayer uh, for today. Instead of using words, I'm going to invite folks um, to just sit and breathe uh, as I invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. So um, I'm going to ask folks to settle into your bodies, invite folks to consider putting both feet on the ground or um, just feeling if you're if you're seated Feel the seat back uh, against your back. Perhaps if you're standing, find a wall to press against it and feel the steadiness and groundedness of God's creation around you, holding you up, supporting you. And breathe in the Holy Spirit of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your wisdom as communicated by your people. We pray that it would change us, that we would be made whole, and that would seek your liberation and the liberation of black people, your children, your beloved throughout this world. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>